Welcome to another episode of Capital Roots, brought to you by Capital Farm Credit, where we bring you the experts of the ag industry. In addition to a few Texas legends along the way, we're your hosts, Joe Patronella and Clint Cryer. Thank you for listening. Now let's get back to our roots. Welcome to another episode of Capital Roots. Today, we've got Jack Cowan with Cowan Cattle Company in Benjamin, Texas. Nothing but the Benjamins, baby. Stacking chips. There we go. Jack, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Hey, we're glad to have you. Uh, let's start off, just kind of give us a little background about yourself, your operation, kind of whatever you want to do. Sure. So I'm part of the fourth generation, my family ranching. I grew up on a ranch in Florida uh, several years ago. Florida, Texas or Florida, like <laughs> United States? Yeah, Florida, USA. Really? I did. Okay. Um, we decided several years ago to to make some changes down there and, and to buy a place out here in West Texas in Benjamin. And over the last 15 to 20 years, different parts of my family have migrated out here. So your f- branch of the family decided to, and then the rest came. So or, well, or, took, or parts of the rest came. Sure. So right okay. now, my my parents, my brother and his family, my family were all out here. But I still have aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother that are still down there. I'm fascinated by this. Okay. So he's um, an SEC guy. So am right. I, Clint. Yep. How about yep. that? Florida. What's your school of choice? University of Florida. Oh, that's Go Gators. you know that's interesting. I just watched the University of Florida of Florida uh, football documentary. You know, in the Tebow years. I've started to get text messages about it, but I haven't actually watched it. It's actually really good. It's really good. That was one of my favorite away games I went to. I tried to go to someone that when A&M went to the SEC. It was a great environment down there. I went to the first game we played at Kyle Field when when A&M joined the SEC. Florida Uh came out and we went to that game. It was quite an experience. How'd that go for Florida? Same as Florida won, so it went pretty well. You won in College Station? <laughs> An anomaly. <laughs> An anomaly, Clint. Don't listen to anything that Raider says. Okay, wait. Getting back to it. So y'all picked up and left Florida to come to Texas. Can I, what was the rationale there, if you don't mind? Well, especially the area of Florida that we were in, in terms of future growth and, or any kind of expansion, that was just extremely difficult. Uh, Urbanization-wise? Yes. Okay. Okay. Really suburban sprawl at that point. Sure. Uh, A lot of development pressure from the coast. Uh, So the family decided, you know, maybe we should sell some things. Maybe we should do a conservation easement on part of the ranch and and then put that money into a ranch in Texas. And so part of my family is still down there, still operating some of the same land we've operated for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my branch of the family has all moved out here. Okay. Did... This is going to sound silly, but like, did you bring your cattle with you or did you acquire new cattle here or like? We didn't bring any cattle with okay, us on I wouldn't, that deal. Yeah. Okay. So y'all just, y'all bought yourselves and started ranching That's here. right. Okay. Okay. One of, one of the appeals for us of the Benjamin area was the stalker business, which is our primary business. Okay. Yeah. Um, we, we just really like the idea of that business and, and some of the things that we get to do with that. So that was part of it. Being our main focus didn't wouldn't make a lot of sense then yeah. to bring a bunch of well, mama cows. The reason I asked that is because we're a cow calf family, and I've always thought if I was to you know end up in another area, I, I, you can't really pick up a mama calf operation very easily, and and so 
That's why I asked that. That's that's fascinating. And, and I'm a very risk averse man, and I don't really change mindsets easily. And so going to stalker is just not something that I could just overnight do. So interesting. Sure. Okay. What he's saying is you blew his mind there for you a little bit. Blew, I can't. I'm, I'm not on track yet again. Thank you. Clint knows me. He's like Joe's not okay right now, but I'm fascinated. So well, okay. it is certainly a whole different risk profile. Yeah. Uh, y'all aren't going to let our loan officer listen to this, are you? Uh, we'll make sure of it. Nope. You're not allowed to listen. <laughs> Who is it? Doug Tidwell. Doug, get out of here. I just saw Doug. Um, He's not here in the building. If he wants to listen to it, I'm going to let Joe Patronella arm wrestle him. <laughs> Doug will get to listen in yes, that case. <laughs> yeah. So It is an interesting dynamic to move an operation from Florida to Texas. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that we could talk a, a lot more than what time we have allotted here today uh, for this podcast, but it, it is a pretty interesting yeah. dynamic there. So how do you like Texas? Oh, I love Texas. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, I really enjoy what we get to do. Uh, you know, it's funny. We were talking earlier about, you know, somebody brought the uh, up the subject of transition planning or things like that. And he made the comment that, you know, he could walk out of here and get hit by a bus and, you know, his family would have to figure out what to do from there. And I, you know, in one of my previous jobs, people would have a discussion like that, but they preferred to use the term, well, if this guy won the lottery tomorrow, he is not coming back to work, you know, so how would we live with that? Okay. And if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would still do what I'm doing now. So I feel really blessed that that's, that, that's what I get to do. If I won the lottery tomorrow, I would go do what you're doing. I would ex- expect. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to look at ag is we all do it because we love it. And so it wouldn't matter how, how much extra money we had. It'd, it'd still be what we got to do because it's in our bones. You know, that's right. That's right. What what part of Florida were you from? Okeechobee. It's my Okeechobee, hometown. close to the big lake. That's right, on the north end of the big lake. And I've heard you guys joke before about God's country. And yeah, I it's can, in College Station, Texas. I can confirm for you that at, at every uh, paved road entrance of Okeechobee, there is a sign of Okeechobee County. There is a sign that says, Welcome to God's Country. I don't think you have that there in College Station, official signage, do you? It's It's more of a state of mind. You know, so we don't, it is not uh, municipality approved, I guess you could Actually, say. I think I saw one of those on the entrance to Cal Field. As, as being an, not employed by the university, I couldn't answer that question. Okay. You played the fifth? I do. Okay. I do. Next subject. <laughs> Tell me more about your stalker operation. So we, um, we have a mix of cultivated land where we farm wheat, winter wheat. Uh, we normally plant, start planting the wheat Labor Day, try to finish up by the end of November, um, and then hopefully we can start turning out cattle on that to graze while the wheat's in the vegetative phase. We'd like to start grazing around Thanksgiving, and uh, if we pull off, pull cattle off of the wheat by early March, then normally weather contingent, we can still harvest grain off of that, so... In a normal year, we'll pick some fields to pull the cattle off of there in the middle of March to save for harvesting the grain off of, and then the rest of the fields will graze out, let the cattle stay out there until the wheat plays out. Um, So we buy a lot of cattle to be able to stock that because the grazing, when the wheat is good, the grazing is really good, can stock a lot of cattle on that. So we buy a lot of cattle from, from a lot of places, really focused on southeast Texas and Oklahoma. We still buy a lot of cattle out of Florida off of... yeah. Some of, some of it coming from 
ranchers that we've known for a long time, families known for a yeah. long time, a lot of ranch cattle out of Florida, but also some sale barn cattle, and we buy a lot of cattle out of Texas and Oklahoma still. Um, we, we operate a grow yard where we wean and background those cattle so that we can make sure that we've got cattle ready when we have grazing. Uh, when the wheat grazing comes in or when we get summer grazing, we do, we'll graze cattle on, on just grasses in the summer also. Um, and then we also retain ownership on a lot of these cattle when they go to the feed yards. I was going to ask that. Okay. Panhandle of Texas or sometimes southwest Kansas. So I'm curious on your wheat. You said you, you, you do raise some wheat for grain. That's do you right. feed that or do you sell it? Depends on the market. Mm-hmm. So if the market dictates, then we'll, feed, we'll, we'll process and feed that wheat as part of our mixed ration at the grow yard. Um, right now, the spread between corn and wheat, right now we're feeding corn. Uh, we'll see what happens with the market. So sometimes we'll sell that wheat as grain. Sometimes we'll, right now we've got our wheat crop from this year. We've got a lot of it in storage. Wait, see what the market does. We might end up feeding it depending on, depending on how it changes. So your corn, does it come from Wichita Falls? Saginaw, mostly. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Interesting. So what about, I'm curious about labor. With stocker operation, you know, some hands-on, especially those first 30, 60 days. Sure. Uh, talk yeah, to me about labor, I mean, Benjamin. Labor, always a challenge. Uh, and, you know, to have a successful backgrounding yard, the labor is a really key important uh, key component um, because our our first focus, like most livestock producers, is the health of the cattle. Mm-hmm. They're most of these cattle are going through the most difficult part of their lives. They've just been weaned off of their mama cows, and they've gotten on a truck and been hauled somewhere, and and that weaning puts a lot of stress into into the system. They've also been exposed to other cattle. If they ran through a sale barn, then they got intermingled with the other cattle at that sale barn, exposed to potential illnesses. So our focus when they get there is health, making sure they get clean water, a good ration to eat, and whatever we need to do to take care of them from a health standpoint, whether that's vaccinations or supplements or anything like that. So labor is always a challenge. We're really blessed to have a great crew, some of which have been with us for a long time. Um, But the, the key component one of the most important things about what we do is is having good quality people to take care of the health of the cattle. Yep. So do you guys background in pens before you turn out? That's right. Okay. In general, that's that's what almost everything is going through. If we buy a set of wean cattle and we have grazing at that same time, you know, we'll turn those straight out. But a lot most years the wheat comes in, a lot of it comes in at one time. And the, to be able to stock that wheat effectively, we really need to start stockpiling cattle in the yard ahead of time. So we're already buying pretty big groups of cattle, getting them weaned right now so that later this year we'll be able to turn them out. So in a typical year, you, you, on your wheat crop anyway, one turn? Just one turn in gotcha. our area, for gotcha. sure. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So normally, like I said, we'll start planning Labor Day try to be done planting by the 1st of December and then harvest for us is late May on the grain. Gotcha. So one of the things that I, I'm, I'm probably really curious, I've seen a lot of, you know, different operations probably quiz you out a little bit here today, but one of the things I've seen, you know, with Southeastern cattle is that a lot, a lot of times you're buying bull calves. So is that typical for what you guys are doing? On the sale barn cattle, uh, it's, it's very common. Um, 
there's a little joke about some producers in some states. Not nobody's sure if they own pocket knives. Right, right. Um, I've got a I've got a buddy that uh, that's like that, <laughs> and he's in Texas. We get, we give him a hard time about being a real rancher or not. Yeah, but uh, in general, I would say the sale barn cattle coming out of Florida more likely to have had some sort of management before we get them. So more likely that they're steers than bulls compared to some other states. Some other states, it's m- most of that sale barn cattle, they're going to be bulls, not steers. And, and that's part of how we have to manage it. When you go to buy cattle, especially out of sale barns or off of ranches or however you're going to do it when you're trying to put them together like this, there's a lot of, there's a range in what you can get. And you can spend about as much money as you want if you want the best of the best, or you can spend, you know, maybe less money if you're willing to take a little more risk or, or buy some at-risk cattle mm-hmm. if you're willing to put the effort into keeping them alive and treating them right. Right. That's, uh, first of all, you just taught me a very classy way to uh, refer to it. They've had some management before they've left the ranch. And uh, <clears throat> second of all, I always like to say you know what you know, or at least I do in terms of my operation. It would never dawn on me to send a, a, a male calf out of our cattle guard that hadn't had some management. You know, that's, uh, that's not, that, that, that's just not how you so conduct your operation. So being that you're from the Southeast, I'm curious, there's gotta be something to that or reason. I mean, people don't just do that on purpose, I would assume. Sure. Well, I think part of it is just the profile of the average producer in some areas. And yeah, don't get me wrong. We buy a lot of Texas and Oklahoma cattle that have had limited to no management. Right. There are, one thing about the beef industry or the cattle industry is there is a remarkable number of very small producers out there, which mm-hmm. is great because that's driven by a passion for the industry. Sure. There are a tremendous yes. number of people that are in this business on the side or part-time uh, or, or in a smaller way because they love it and, and it's part of their lifestyle. So at some of those operations, you know, it's, it would be difficult to do some of those management activities just from their infrastructure standpoint or, uh, you know, or maybe that's just, to them, it's easier to just, whenever we need to sell a calf, go get him in the trailer, take him to the sale barn. Understandable. Yeah. Not but, getting them up before that. And, yeah. And well, they, may, they may not have the necessary labor or time or utilities to pin them often enough to work them in the spring and then, you know, pull them in the summer and, or work them the fall or whatever they do. So well, and a lot of those operations that, that they're bull, you know, if you have a very small herd, you're, you're not pulling your bulls. You're not exactly. calving at one time. Yeah. Correct. You, and you also, you might have one bull if it's a very small operation yeah. or you and your neighbor might share a bull or, I mean, there's yeah. all kinds of operations out there. Yeah. So. So it's interesting. I was just trying to pull up some stats. I thought, man, I wish I knew that. So I grabbed the Google engine really quick, but uh, quick quiz. Okay. Total number of cow-calf operations in Texas. Oh, I knew knew this at one point. It's like astronaut. But they're also considering like two cows and one bull as an operation. So uh, it's not a multiple choice question. (laughs) I didn't sign up for this class, Clint. Um, Isn't it like... 10,000? No, it's more than that. I don't know. He said 10,000 is what I heard. What do you think, Jack? I would I would think it would be more like uh, 100,000 or something. Jack's closer. He The price is right. 130,000. 130, yeah. So it's crazy what I was... I'm what a lawyer. I, I'm not a mathematician. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, 
But what I was trying to get at, I was trying to figure out if I could see if I could quickly figure out, you know, 130,000 cow-calf producers divided by the number of mother cows or calves produced in Texas. I think that that number may be skewed a little bit because there's so many stalker operations. But uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, average size. Yeah. Sure. Getting back to what we were talking about, the subject of management. Right. And I think our, our national herd size on average is pretty small. I mean, it's definitely right def- now. Yeah. Even smaller now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clint, Clint's still on his phone for all you listeners. He's checked out of the podcast. Okay. <laughs> oh, he's back. If these numbers are correct, it says 5 million calves are born in Texas each year. 130,000 cow, cow uh, operations. Mm-hmm. That's th- an average of 38 calves per, du- per producer per year. That sounds right. about right when you like take into consideration all the quote-unquote hobby farmers and such. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of interesting to look at. It's a For diverse you. industry. Mm-hmm. When you think there's plenty of places that have, you know, uh, in the thousands of mama cows and... Then you've got places that have in the in the tens yeah. or in the ones or mm-hmm. less than ten. Yeah. Yep, yep. So curious about risk management too. Kind of some of your perspective, philosophy. Sure. Not nothing proprietary. Sure, <laughs> uh, we're we we are active risk managers. I guess would be the way to put it. Um, most days we're doing something in the market um, to protect ourselves. Being that, like I said, we're buying a lot of cattle that are, we're going to take them from weaned calves to stalkers to feeders to fats. In a lot of cases, we're sometimes dealing in uh, in feeder cattle contracts or options, and, and then also a lot of fat cattle contracts um, and options occasionally. And then also, you know, try to manage our risk from a feed side, so corn contracts, and then uh, sometimes on a on the wheat side. So wheat contracts, but uh, we take a very proactive approach. Uh, most all of the trading, we're we're doing that ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're try to be in the market pretty regularly uh, in terms of options and contracts. But also one of the things we feel like offers us some level of protection is the fact that most weeks out of the year we're buying cattle, and most weeks out of the year, one way or another, we're selling some cattle Mm. so as as the market goes uh up and down throughout the year you know hopefully it's it 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 evens out some of that time level risk of buying expensive cows but down the road you're going to sell some more expensive calves and stuff like that so i think that reduces our risk as opposed to if you went in big you know one time a year and bought a you know, a really large drag and then sold them all at one time, then you're exposed to a lot more, uh, a lot more risk at that standpoint. Yep. Yep. So as you consider all those turns of cattle, you've got in 52 weeks, if you sold 52 lots of cattle, lot, lot being whatever that means, you know, for that specific week, I'm sure, I'm curious what kind of data look back you might have in your process. So, for us, everything we, everything we buy or get in is going to end up in a lot. So like you said, we manage everything on a lot basis. And while they're in our custody, everything is lotted based on, on where it came from, like how we purchased it. So uh, order buyer or sale barn or location that we got it from. Um, <clears throat> and then 
eventually there's going to be a closeout associated with that lot, whether that whether we sell them uh, as a feeder or whether they go to a feed yard and get finished and then we sell them effectively to a processor, there's going to be a closeout. And then we'll look back at that every time and see, see how we did. Um, because we're going to compare that back to, you know, what we figured as a break-even prior to, prior to buying and, and see how we did, see how our cost of gain was, see how the cattle performed. You know, and sometimes we'll look at that on a, on a longer-term basis and say, are we having more health problems or more death loss or lower performance feed efficiency or pounds a day gained or anything like that from specific classes of cattle or sources of cattle. Mm -hmm. So, and and sometimes we make management changes accordingly Mm -hmm. and, and try to buy more cattle from a better producing area than where we're having problems or, or take account for that when we're, when we're doing break evens to figure out what we can pay for cattle. Yep. And another component of that lotting system is also, we do a lot of partnership cattle. Um, which for us is is really important where where we'll partner with other other producers um, we have some really key strategic partners that we've done a lot of business with and and we really feel like that uh, you know we each bring something different to the table and and combined we're better than the sum of our parts because we can do we can do other things we can do different things better and and end up with a really good product at the end and work well together yep. I kind of view that as a as a form of risk management. It allows you to number one be in a uh, a more uh, in a market that's consistent. You know, if that that's what gets you into fifty two weeks out of a fifty two week year. Plus, it diversifies your risk in any one lot of cattle that might have you know not have the opportunity for profit like some of others might. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. And you you never know what other opportunities that can open up also in terms of if your partner comes a lot, you know, some opportunity comes to them, then they share it with you or vice versa. We share it with them, you know, cause we might have somebody might call and they've got a bunch of grazing they want to utilize. So we'll, we've got partnership cattle available. We'll send those, send those partnership cattle, that kind of thing. Yep. So backing out the economics and the risk and all of the technicalities of it, we call it capital roots for a reason and something we always kind of like to ask our guests is what was it initially and maybe that's carried out to now or maybe you can answer it now but what and lit your passion for ag to begin with and and what has kind of kept you going in it well i probably have a lot more uh, well an unusual story um in terms of how i got to just where i am and working in the family business um when I went to college, I decided that I would do agricultural engineering. Oh, so, okay. So I, I did that as a degree program. I got my bachelor's and master's in ag engineering. And then, and then I thought, okay, well, I'll just go and work just long enough to get my engineering license so that I would always have that, and then I'll go back to the ranch. And so when I graduated, I went and worked for, a, for an ag consulting company, ag engineering consulting company. And and really worked for a wide variety of clients that did lots of different things and touched lots of different industries. And it was really, really informative. And I ended up working on, on some biofuels projects. And that ended up pulling me into, I, work, I spent some time working for one of the oil and gas super majors. And 
on on biofuels projects at that time and then that trans ended up resulting in work spending some time working on upstream oil and gas projects and so i have you know from that standpoint pretty unusual background and i did that for a number of years before we finally my wife and i finally decided that that we really wanted to come back to the ranch um and i'm really thankful now that we have uh but i've always been very passionate about agriculture to to answer your question i think what probably lit it in me would have been you know my earliest memories are me and my brother riding with my grandfather in his truck you know feeding cows riding in a tractor everything that went along with that ranch life for us working cows with the whole family you know all of that those are my earliest memories from life and and uh you know, I think that's just resulted in that being what I always wanted to do. Yeah. So being a younger producer, what are, you know, two or three pieces of advice you'd give to somebody that's wanting to get into uh, the business? I think one thing would be, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I don't think you'll find another industry out there where the people that are in it are more willing to collaborate, cooperate, uh, mentor. I couldn't uh, agree more. Offer advice or just listen um, to what you want to do or what you think. And, and that there's, you know, I think almost every rancher or farmer out there, if, if there were a new producer, new, somebody that wanted to get into the industry that came and talked to them, they they'd be happy just to know somebody was interested yes. in agriculture. A relief to them that, right. that what they've spent their life doing, someone else is going to keep doing it. So they would be happy to tell you all about what, what they do and, and offer you any kind of advice that they can. So I think a lot of times it can be intimidating, um, you know, and, and you don't know how to go about that. But there are a lot of ways that you can. And in a lot of cases, all you really have to do is ask, uh, whether it's, uh, a trade organization like like Farm Bureau or uh, or Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association or even through Capital Farm Credit. I guarantee you that if you got in touch with your local loan officer or relationship manager, they could put you in touch with somebody that can help you with any kind of questions that you have. If they, I mean, there's a lot of loan officers out there that are also producers and, yep. and, and they can offer some advice too. So uh, it's really an amazing community we have as our industry yep. a lot of people that are passionate about it and, and so that would be one piece of advice would be don't be afraid to ask for help ask for guidance find a community mm -hmm. find a community out mm -hmm. there uh, another thing would be you know i think it's taken me a long time to kind of learn that you you look at other operations or segments within the industry and it just seems like man, these people, they really know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what they should do. They've got it all figured out. I really wish I, I really wish I was there. And then the more you know about that stuff, the more you know that everybody in this industry is still learning, still trying to improve what they're doing, still trying to figure out what the next move should be. And I think don't, don't feel like you're behind just because you haven't figured that out yet. And don't be afraid to ask questions of these people just because you think, well, that, that you should already know that or something like that. People aren't going to 
have some kind of negative reaction to you just because you don't know something or think less of you. It's, it's generally a pretty humble industry. And what works for their operation might not work for yours, even though it's two miles away. Like it, everybody's operation is different. That's exactly That took right. a long time for me to learn. Mm-hmm. Every deal's an, I look at every operation as a puzzle, you know, really mm-hmm. that's probably more from the banking perspective, yeah. but that's one of the things that drives me is just the problem solving piece of, of mm-hmm. agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like to have that, try to make sure I always have that mentality that, that we're always trying to learn. We hired a, we hired a new guy straight out of college, uh, this summer and one of his first days, I heard my dad telling him now, uh, you know, if you see something that we're doing that you think we should be doing differently, please let us know. You know, we're, we're here to learn too. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to speak up. And I, I'm just, I'm proud that, that we all kind of have that attitude together mm-hmm. throughout the operation. Those, those are great advices. Pieces of advice, advices. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's for sure. I'd be remiss to, to talk about, you know, next generation agriculturalists without talking about some of the programs that we have at, at Capital. We've got several different programs and several different actually tools available to uh, those young producers. So just like you said, Jack, if there's anybody out there that has an interest in starting and growing their operation, we've got resources for you here at Capital. Yeah, and I can, you know, I can attest that it's amazing how it's really a partnership with capital. If, as we were transitioning into the stalker business, you know, like you said, the stalker business is a lot different from the cow calf mm-hmm. business. Yeah. It is a whole different ball game when you're going out there and buying a bunch of calves to make turns. It's it's not the same as having your, just having your your mama cow herd out there. It's it's a lot of capital going in and out, and. Um, as we've grown that stalker business, capital has been right there with us the entire time, um, facilitating our growth, not being afraid of our growth and wanting to you know, grow right there with us. I, speaking of some of, the, some of the programs that they have, I was fortunate enough to go to the uh, Farm Credit Bank of Texas's Young, young Leader Program yeah. yes, this sir. past summer. It was mm-hmm. really an amazing experience. They were, basically, they were one couple from each association under the Farm Credit Bank of Texas were there. And so they asked us when we were doing introductions to, to talk about how your relationship with whichever association you were with, how, how it got started and a little bit about that relationship. And I, one of the things I said during that introduction was that right now we have the same loan officer, relationship manager, Doug Tidwell, he is the same one we had when we started out here. He has been here with us the entire time, and that is not something you get at a commercial bank. Yeah. It's not. Having worked at a commercial bank, I can, I can attest to I that. I've had loans at a commercial bank. I don't. Yeah, same. <laughs> so we, re- we feel really fortunate um, to have that relationship. Relationships are such an important part of the industry, especially on the lending side, um, but really the whole industry is so relationship based that um, it's really important and we're really fortunate in that aspect. Yeah. Speaking of Doug, I heard a rumor. I haven't yet seen him do it, but I heard he could rip a phone book in half. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not on phone books around. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good guy. He is very good. Yep. Very good. Yeah. 
Well, Jack, I really enjoyed the discussion, you know, here today. We appreciate your business. Uh, appreciate, appreciate the relationship that we built with you. Um, and I appreciate the discussion today. Uh, Thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. Yeah, I'm glad to do it. I appreciate, appreciate you guys having me. Definitely. Look forward to visit with you in the future. All right. Me too. Thank you, sir. Thank you for joining us today on Capital Roots. Texas agriculture is the foundation of our story and what makes us family. Capital Farm Credit is a proud member of the farm credit system. We finance farmers, ranchers, agricultural producers, and rural landowners, and we're here to make your vision a reality. We've been serving rural Texas for more than a century. Whether it be traditional, innovative, or lifestyle, we'll help you cultivate new ground. We're all in this together. Because together, we're better.